This is Ingewikkeld Sessions, the podcast. Organized by Ingewikkeld, each month you'll get a live stream on YouTube and a podcast on the same topic. That topic is always related to software development in one way or another. If you don't want to miss a thing, subscribe to both our YouTube channel and podcast. Let's start. Welcome to a new Ingewikkeld Sessions podcast. Every month we talk to the people that were also in the live stream. Uh, the live stream happens every first Tuesday of the month, uh, and uh, this time uh, we're going to be talking about open source. And I've got a, l a couple of people here that I'm going to be talking with about open source. Uh, first of all, Ross, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ross Stuck. Uh, previously, I was an engineer. Now I'm a lecturer at a university. Um, I've been voted uh, worst maintainer three years in a row. That is an honorary position, I guess. Uh, Wouter. Yes, I'm Bart de Jong. I'm a software developer at uh, Ambrim Bybeels. Uh, and I've been involved in the Symphony project for the past 10 years as a part of the documentation team. And for the last couple of years, also as a core team member. Nice. And Mike van Riel. Uh, I'm a senior developer. And I actually work at Ingewikkeld as a technical director. And actually, uh, I've worked for over a decade on PHP Documenter and its satellite libraries. Okay, so now we've set the scene a bit. Um, I, I started the stream with a question, and I'm going to start the podcast with that same question, and that is, why are you contributing to open source? Uh, for me, uh, it was a really great boost to my career. It was really helpful in uh, getting my name out there, and I don't think there's any real shame in, in saying that you know sometimes you contribute to open source for selfish reasons. Uh, beyond that, I thought it was a great way to get peer review. I got feedback on a lot of different uh, things that people were doing. And I was able to improve my own code from it. Uh, so for me, that was a really great personal benefit. And uh, sometimes just, you know, offering a little something back. Right. Bouter. Yes. Uh, I started uh, working in, sim in, in open source because I wanted to fix a syntax error in the Symfony documentation when I was st still at high school. And after that, that, because I didn't think my English was good enough, I started fixing more syntax errors in the documentation. And in that way, became involved into the project and grew into the project. And I really like helping people. So uh, I, I was very active in answering any su 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 support questions. And I also really like to look at the developer experience side of a project. And, and in that way, I also became involved into the code to make the code easier to, to use for new people. Yeah, Mike? Well, I like to keep that I do it for the fame and riches, but uh, don't expect anything from that part. Uh, but in all fairness, uh, I usually uh, I started out working uh, sort of development to scratch itches and discovered that I have a lot of itches. So I started to contribute quite a bit and uh, got involved in PHP Documenter because, well, basically it couldn't parse the code base I was working on at the time and wanted it to work. Yeah. So um, you work on PHP Documenter now. Uh, I think that project used to be called DocBlocks for you, right? Um, well, that's actually part of the history. Uh, PHP Documenter itself started in 1999 or uh, the year 2000. I'm not I'm quite sketchy on which of the two exactly. Uh, and at first it was run by uh, some of the old core contributors uh, that have since then moved on, except for Chuck. Chuck Burgess is still with the project, albeit in more advisory role. 
Um, and at some point, I wanted to make something faster. And at first, I started to contribute to PHP Documenter itself. Uh, but the core mechanics of the whole application was basically too much to change to make it run like I wanted to. So I started this spin-off project, DocBlocks. And at some point, I got into contact with Chuck and said, hey, perhaps we should uh, merge the two projects and basically change the name. And uh, it became PHP Documenter again. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, if, if someone uh, is thinking about starting to, to contribute to, to open source, uh, you mentioned, and I think you did a similar thing with the, your project, you, you were scratching an itch. Is that the, the best way to get started? I think it's the one that's the easiest way to get motivation to actually do something. Uh, because it hurts. Uh, that sounds a bit awful, but uh, most of the best motivational pieces that you can have in your work life and in your personal life is that you want to change something that actually hurts. So here's a career advice for you. If you want to change something in your company, make sure that it hurts people. Um, but also, it helped me in my career development. That's something Ross touched on earlier. Um, it's a great test bed to actually see, hey, what can I do with this software? Um, how can I hone my skills? What feedback do I get? And that was a real motivational piece for me as well. So, uh, Ross, uh, you, you also started a project probably to scratch an itch? Uh, I took kind of a, uh, like for my most successful project that I worked on in terms of like the one that was most used. Um, it was actually kind of backwards. I had built this, it was running in an application. A few people had asked me a couple questions about how the system worked and I said, oh, it looks like this. And here's a code sample. And they said, oh, you know, you should just open source that. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. So kind of backwards. Um, I think it's a really important thing though, as Mike said, to like look for the thing that gives you the motivation because at a certain point, most open source projects, if you're successful enough to get enough users, you'll shift from, oh, I'm building a thing to now I'm maintaining a thing. And as a smart man told me, it's a very, very different skill set. <laughs> right. Uh, so how, does that, how did that start for you? Yeah, I think for me, it's maybe just the opposite, but also because I, didn't, I, was, I, I wasn't a software developer when I started being involved into open source. And uh, I spent the, the next six years uh, when I was still involved in open source to not be a software developer as well, and instead study building architecture. So open source for me was also a way to to learn all these things that that are involved in software, to learn all the de design patterns and to learn all the things that are new and good. So open source was a great way to to test out new stuff and to get fee feedback to see if something uh, if if a, a, a real de developer thinks uh, so something is good or bad. And, and in that way, it wasn't scratching an itch, but it was just uh, challenging my, myself to do so something different. Right. I, I think we didn't really touch on that in, uh, in the stream, actually, uh, using open source as a learning tool. Um, is that something that, that you have more experience with? Actually, most of my experimentation and out-of-the-box work comes from open source. In a professional environment, you're usually, um, I wouldn't exactly say forced, but you're encouraged to take the well-paved path. 
and to make things in a w certain way that people are accustomed to, uh, which is actually not that great of a learning experience sometimes. And by going off the beaten path, you can hone your skills and actually uh, either get super frustrated because you can't get this thing to work that you want to get to work, or you learn to get creative. So now, uh, uh, one of the things to, that we, we touched in in the live stream as well uh, is um, ways to contribute to open source that are maybe uh, less obvious. Like everyone thinks about open source as being, oh, uh, I, get to, I get to write code because that is open source. Um, what are the uh, less than obvious things that also need to be done in open source that don't involve writing code? Uh, I think the most important thing for for a co co com community is to share your knowledge with other pe pe people in the co community. And this is a very broad topic because it, and it contains many things. So, for instance, you can start helping people who have a problem and ask a question on Stack Overflow or GitHub or in some sort of Slack or other chat chat environment. Or you can start your own blog and write something which you learned. Uh, and it can be very s simple, and most often uh, the best blog, blog posts are about about things that you think are very simple, because for there will always be developers that don't think it's it's simple. It always was something that was hard for you, and it's simple now. And those are great topics to share with others in the form of a blog post, uh, a, a Twitter thread, or so something else. Yeah, Mike. Um. I think everything that can remove friction from a core contributor helps. And this sounds weird, perhaps I'm talking about friction, but uh, when you're maintaining an open source project, as uh, Ross just mentioned, it's a completely different skill, skill set. You're, just not, you're not just coding, you have to do community management, issue triage, uh, getting your pipelines to uh, work, keep getting your pipelines to work, and then again getting your pipelines to work and repeat that every week, basically. Um, Writing documentation, uh, blog posts, branding, marketing, it all detracts from actually getting the code out there, getting features out there. So speaking as a core contributor, if someone can help me with anything, even if it's a, as Wouter mentioned, a small blog post, if it's a small unit test, it doesn't matter how big or small it is. Actually, the smaller stuff is better even. Please help me. <laughs> so how... Uh, uh, how does a uh, new contributor, someone that wants to start contributing to open source, how do they find the small stuff that you mentioned? Um, I think Ross touched on the, on the live stream as well. That as, a, uh, as a core contributor, you need to help people. You need to onboard people by using uh, tags and labels on GitHub. When you can find issues with uh, up for grabs, um, talk to people. Uh, I think Wouter mentioned this before. Uh, go on Slack. Uh, if there's a community Slack, uh, talk to the people there. Um, if there's a uh, issue tracker, talk to people there. So many, so many places. Yeah, and I think uh, in general, maybe a feature request is always something uh, that is a bit hard for a maintainer because maintainers have a specific vision for a project. And uh, some features don't really fit in, that f in this vision. So if you're completely new to a project and you don't know all the policies and, and, and the vision of the project, it's often very, uh, I wouldn't recommend to, to, to 
talked about a feature request, but something which can be rather small and which is always welcome is bug fi fixes. And this can start very small. Uh, for instance, uh, many projects get many bug reports. Uh, uh, and as a maintainer, you want to verify if this is a real bug report or if this is a user error. So if you uh, open the issue list and find the bug and try to, try to reproduce it, and if you can reproduce it, uh, push this code to sh sh share this code in the, in, the, in the issue. And then if you want and you, you feel very co comfortable with the code, you can even try to fix the, the issue. But, but as a first stop, step, just re re reproducing a bug is a very great uh, thing to help a main maintainer and a rather easy thing to do for, for a project. I really love that suggestion. I think when I'm doing issue triage, almost half my time is spent actually trying to reproduce the issue and uh, getting a reproduction scenario and the useful information from the, error from the errors or logs or anything. So helping a maintainer by doing the reproduction step, that saves me half my work. So uh, this was actually a question during the live stream, and I'm actually quite interested put to, to put this in the podcast. Uh, Ross, you now work in education as a lecturer. Um, how, how does uh, education and open source go together these days? It's a great question. So truthfully, I'm very, very new to this field, so you know I'm not the best person to ask on this one. At the same time, I think that uh, sometimes education is, is often working with limited resources and the free aspect, free as in beer, like is really, really appealing to education folks. Um, but I also think there's a strong tradition of peer review and experimentation, research, that I think goes really, really well together. And, and I think open source can play a really great uh, uh, role in that. Beyond that, I think one of the trickiest thing that's uh, trickiest things to impart to a student is not only this is you know how things are these are what your features are but what is an idiomatic way to set up a code base like what is what are most of the people in the field doing right now and having a few open source projects where there's sufficient complexity built in with you know actual working engineers in the field there where you can point to them and show them and say like hey this is how folks really do it phenomenal resource and very hard to get in any other form if I if I remember correctly, open source actually came forth from like universities, etc. Right? I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> so, uh, okay. But yes, I, I can believe that that's definitely played a role in, in the curation and, and the inception for a lot of these things. Right. Right. So um, Ross, uh, uh, you. Uh, you, you you mentioned uh, you you are the worst contributor ever, but at some point you you created open source projects. Um, what did you get out of that step of of creating that op those open source projects? I love creating open source. Like I love creating code and 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 just playing with these things. The thing that makes me the worst maintainer ever is that just honestly, over time, I, I lose interest, right? right? So I have entire open source, well, not open source, but I have entire libraries and tools that I've built that I've never published anywhere, and maybe I'll use in a project one day, but I don't publish them because I don't want to deal with maintaining them. Right. And for the projects that I do have in the open, like I feel really awful when folks come with new bug reports or patches or things like that, and just emotionally, I don't have the interest or energy to to go further with them often. I just, I don't care. And, and that's a horrible thing to say perhaps, but to a large extent, sometimes I don't care. So that may be like a, a pitfall 
uh, when you go into open source that some at some point you may lose interest? Definitely. And if uh, you haven't taken the time to, as in my case, I did a very poor job of perhaps for some of my larger projects, like how do I onboard people to, to be interested in particular pieces or take them over? And, you know, sometimes that leaves them in limbo, and, and that's unfortunate. And you can't just, like everybody says, well, you can just fork the code or somebody else can take it over. But it's difficult to do, especially for a more established project. Uh, you know, one of the things you have to be the most careful about these days is a supply chain attack. And if I just hand, you know, my package with, you know, 2 million installs over to somebody, even if 90% of those are CI builds, that can have really substantial impact if somebody decides to put a rootkit in there and it doesn't go noticed for some time. Yeah. So it's it is a bit tricky, like when you have an established user base. Luckily, that's not the problem. Most small maintainers are starting with the problem is like, how do I get users? Um, how do I get people interested? Um, but once you get to that mid-sized project, then it, it rapidly becomes a thing. Okay. Um, but is it? Uh, uh, it I I mean I I think you start doing open source also because it's fun. Um, are there any other, th uh, you know, things that that you get out of, uh, aside from the fun of it, no, that you get out of it? As I mentioned, like, I really like getting peer review. Um, and I really enjoy the chance, like, this seems like maybe strange advice or counterintuitive, but I really enjoy sometimes re-implementing existing things. Like, even in the same language, same context. Like uh, just re-implementing a, a, a pipeline or, or some small library or a logging library, something that already exists. By doing this, I get a better understanding of, of all the little pieces that somebody put into it. But at the same time, I also get the chance to possibly create a mutation in, in the spread of an idea. And, and that's where these wonderful innovations come from. Like sometimes you'll just re-implement something that puts a totally different spin on it and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a lot of benefit to people just re-implementing random things sometimes. Most of them should probably be thrown away afterwards, and I include ninety percent of my work in that as well. But sometimes there's there's gold in that. Yeah, I so also like the uh, concept there. You you just mentioned that recreating things in a different form sounds a lot like code katas, for example, uh, that you can find where you can find online several code katas pre-made. Uh, but one thing I always like is if you take uh, a library and you add a constraint. So a library has a specific property or it uses another library and you just tell yourself, I'm gonna make the same thing, but without this, and then you have to find a unique way to solve that constraint that really adds to the creativity of the code that you write. Then. Agreed, and, and also like, you know, some things, some properties only manifest interesting impacts when you push them to a ridiculous degree, much like quantum mechanics or Haskell, until you take something to a completely ridiculous degree, the benefit is, is not there. But then suddenly under the right amounts of pressure, temperature, or space, or speed, it manifests entirely new properties and you think, hmm, interesting. Right. So, so Wouter, what do you get out of contributing to open source? Yeah, I, I have been doing it mostly for fun uh, without needing to get anything other out of it than, than just having fun de de developing so something. And I think uh, something else also also mentioned uh, before was uh, that that it, it it adds some credit to your own name. So so by uh, it helps to get new jobs and get involved into into the the, the business uh, uh, by by putting your name out there. 
and being able to show the code that you write uh, uh, to, to, to other developers. And uh, personally, as I didn't study anything related to IT, I feel some sort of need to, in another way, uh, establish me as a de developer. Yeah, and, and I think the inverse is, is also surprising many people. I think many people are hesitant to reach out and contribute to open source projects because you know, GitHub is public and you don't want to look silly on an issue or something. And that can be a really big, scary barrier for a lot of people, and, and rightfully so. Um, but I think, like many things in life, the, the, the faux pas are, are quickly uh, glossed over in favor of the things that you do do right. Like I know, for example, a lot of my early contributions or early talks or blog articles, they're terrible. But for the most part, I, I think people forgive and forget, and, and I've been able to move on and, and contribute in other ways. So like, I think there's a certain momentum of like, that first step is really, really hard, but then like skydiving, once you start, it's hard to stop. I think the earlier, Marto, you mentioned uh, seeing what real developers do. And I found that statement so interesting because I think there comes a point when you have to discover that there's no such thing as a real developer. Uh, and that's something I had to learn myself. Uh, then I was looking at, hey, this person solves it this way, this person solves it this way, uh, this in another way. There's no one true way. And now that I'm a bit longer in the field, I can also see juniors now, and I really have this system shock every once in a while. I'm like, wait, I used to do that like that as well, and I completely forgot. So. Um, in some way, open source is like a good history book as well. Uh, good is one way of putting it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's good. Uh, again, a good learning uh, uh, tool then. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, and also somewhat awkward sometimes because in contrary to professional software, you need to cut corners with open source software um, because you only have a finite amount of time uh, usually a couple of spare hours uh, somewhere. And that means that if you need to implement this one neat feature, uh, sometimes you take the suboptimal choices and 10 years later you're like, oh my Lord, did I write this? <laughs> okay. Um, so if I were completely new to open source, where do I start? Start helping someone in the community. St start picking first, maybe start using a library which you're mo most pa pa passionate about and then start writing about it or helping someone is I think the best way to learn uh, uh, to be involved in the community and to learn more about about the code internals uh, uh, if you need to help people uh, do do stuff that you didn't do be, be before uh, and then then uh, at least in my case, it's, it quick, quickly snowballs into into being more involved into the rest of the of the right. uh, co co community as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mike. Well, I think be involved is uh, what you just mentioned as in the last sentence is perhaps the most important part. Whatever you do, be involved, have fun with it, uh, pick a topic that you want to learn, and just find an open source project that you can apply it on. You want to learn about unit tests. Find a project with suboptimal coverage and help them. You want to learn about Docker? Find a project that doesn't have a Docker setup and add it for them. Uh, want to learn to write documentation? Find a project without documentation and add it for them. 
Uh, during the live stream, I think uh, it was mentioned uh, by, by you, Wouter, uh, that it is important to, to talk to the maintainers uh, before you start doing something, just not randomly start doing something, um, because otherwise you, your, your pull request may be rejected. Yes, I think that's a very important step and also something which I have need to learn over the past years. Uh, uh, in Symfony, I started rewriting the security component many years ago. And I think I've done three complete rewrites of which only one did made it uh, uh, into, into the final sh symphony. And the other two didn't even make it to a pull request. Uh, mostly because I ignored the whole politics side of open source. And I only wrote, wrote the code and put it out there. Uh, but you really need to learn the project and need to learn how uh, uh, what values are important for, for the project and which features are are useful for, for a project. So the best way is to talk to main maintainers and find out what they want for, for, for the project. Uh, like Mike um, mentioned, uh, you can start your first pull request with adding lots of unit tests, but maybe the maintainer has a, sp has a specific vision on how they want to test their ap application. Uh, Symfony is known to be rejecting a lot of uh, PHP doc and a lot of unit testing uh, pull, pull requests because they don't add significant value to, to the project. So I think it's very important to make sure your contribution is, is in line with the efficiency of the main maintainer. And uh, as we, I think we also mentioned it already here, uh, that your first contributions, you should start small. And I think uh, uh, we need to add, you should start small, but still make an impact. Uh, so a code style change uh, doesn't make enough impact for for a, a maintainer to to pick up your pull, pull pull request and review it. Right. It's almost time to stop. So I want to ask one last question, and uh, I did that during the live stream as well. Going to do it now for everyone. Um, do you have one specific message for people that are new to open source or companies that are new to open source? I think having fun and uh, uh, if you start a new project, don't try to replicate the very big open source projects, but just keep it to yourself and, and only support the PHP version that, that you are running and don't care about supporting a very broad range of PHP versions. You're just a lonely main maintainer and you can't do the job of 20 uh, main maintainers of the big projects. Right. That sounds like a very wise message to get across. Mike? I basically just have fun. Uh, do something you like, do something you like, enjoy it. And if it's beneficial, it's, it's wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Uh, and th and thanks for, of course, for being on the live stream. And uh, we'll hopefully see you uh, sometime uh, soon again. Um, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you want to uh, support us in a way, we have our own Patreon on patreon.com slash ingewikkeld, where you can uh, support the, the, the ingewikkeld sessions if you, if you like what we're doing. Uh, if you donate more than uh, three euros a month, you get uh, access to the full back catalog of the recordings of the live sessions. Uh, so that, that is a, an interesting perk if you're interested in, for instance, uh, unit testing or starting a, a, at a new company or, or things like that. Uh, we have a whole nice list of topics uh, that, that are ready for you to watch. 
Um, the podcast will always be free, so subscribe to the podcast if you like this one and you're not subscribed yet, then you will get the next one that immediately in your in your podcast uh, app. Um, follow us on YouTube, of course, subscribe uh, and click the bell icon so you get a notification uh, when we are live again uh, for next month. And next month, uh, Jaap is going to be talking about Xdebug, so that's going to be interesting. That's it for this month. Thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, please share our links on social media. Also, please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and follow us on YouTube. And you can also support us financially on patreon.com slash ingewikkeld. See you next month.